We're on hey everyone, the we are. Yeah, uh, with b- bombing in the AM with Scoops and the Wolf. Yeah, that's what we agreed on, oh. right? That's what we're doing. Ow! It's too late now. <laughs> it's way too late now. It's stuck. I love that, it. that nickname has stuck in maybe the worst way possible, uh, and now I am stuck with it. Damn it! It's true. It's true. Once you've done two shows with a name, I think uh, I think that's just the way it goes. Uh, and, and thankfully, uh, on this, uh, well, I guess our, our third episode, I guess technically yes, in the history, as uh, the Wikipedia entry uh, on this podcast slash show will will show. Uh, we are joined by our first guest, uh, Dean Dowdrill, who's the uh, creator of Dust and Elysian Tale, and who recently just uh, passed his uh, first year uh, as the, the release of Dust. So congratulations. Um, so, I mean, Dean, how, did, how does that feel to be just past a year? Because a year is a long time, and I know that you were pretty stressed to get that game out a lot faster than you had originally anticipated. Yeah, I originally had plan to you know work until about now and release it like this year so <laughs> so i crunched it pretty hard i haven't had it's it's been a weird year because it went by really fast i didn't expect it to go like it feels like the game came out a few months ago and then i went straight to the steam version which took another nine months or eight months of code so i still haven't had a break and i feel like it just came out it's, it's just a weird feeling and i'm just starting to adjust to life but thank you guys for having me on yeah it's a it's quite a uh momentous occasion <laughs> and, and you know one of the things that just wrapped up for you uh along with a lot of other developers is the the steam summer sale like one of the most anticipated moments of of the year is people put away their five dollars so they can buy 30 games all at once and you were you were part of that and you also you know launched your pc version and you had trading cards and so there's a lot of weird new things that uh are not necessarily in the developer handbook thing a game so I'm curious if you can relay some of your thoughts about how you know, being part of that summer sale is from from a developer's perspective. Because for a user, it's just a lot of games for cheap, and I, I don't think we necessarily think too too much further than that. Yeah. So the summer sale, I think it's further proof that the people at Valve are crazy. I mean, they have some <laughs> they have some like alien analysts, and I don't know how they figure this stuff out. But uh, I remember as a user myself when I first heard Gabe saying stuff like games are selling 40 times as much even though they were only half off um he was saying stuff like that a couple years ago and i just thought wow that's fascinating because i i'm one who assumes that if you put a game on sale for 50 percent off if you sell twice as many copies then you know great you've broken even um so i came out i, I launched my game on steam on the like at the end of may and uh it did really well we had a pretty good launch i was kind of surprised because i assumed that I, I had milked my market but then the Steam version came along, and I remember uh, last year at PAX, when I was first showing the game on Xbox Live, uh, Cliff Blazinski came over, because um, we had worked together on stuff in the past, and he was whispering, he came over and whispered into my ear, uh, like, details about Steam, he's like, you gotta get this game on Steam, man. And then he started uh, waxing poetic, because uh, that's kind of what he does, <laughs> about, the, about gaming and making your future and stuff, which is always really fun. But, uh, so the game eventually did you know, I, I got okay with Microsoft to go through Steam. I'm still published through Microsoft. Uh, I remember telling that to Greg Kasavin at last PAX, and uh, I said, you know, I'm, I'm announcing that I'm coming out just on Steam today. And he gave me one of these sort of, uh, it's like, you know, that's 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 where the majority of our sales for Bastion came from. And I thought, okay, well, we'll see how this does. 
So the game did really well uh, during launch, and Microsoft was able to arrange what's called a midweek madness right before the summer sale started. And uh, we did, you know, we sold the game for half off, and that did incredibly well. Um, I'm not allowed to share like actual numbers, but you know, it was just like an order of magnitude number of sales over three days of midweek madness. madness. So I assumed that the summer sale would probably do, you know, maybe close to that. You know, probably not as well because I figured I'd already had milk for that market. But I was also launching with uh, Steam trading cards, which we'll get into in a moment. So the I got a daily deal during the summer sale, and that's a 48-hour period where the game's on sale. And even though it was 50% off like it was during the midweek madness, it sold a lot more during the summer sale, which I thought was really interesting. And I think it was just proof that having 5 million plus eyes on the sale and everyone just saving up their money made a big difference. Even though the game was on the exact, you know, exact 50% off like it was just before the sale. So that was kind of an interesting experience. What did you, did you, did you find anything fascinating about the way people responded to trading cards? Because I know that that's one of the weirder, more experimental features that uh, Valve has going on and so how did you approach that as a developer? Like, do you think that stuff is weird? Did you find it that it actually encouraged sales? Like, what, what, what did you notice? So I, it took me a long time to figure out what trading cards even were. I think Valve hasn't done a great job, you know, explaining how that whole system works. And I'm not someone who really collects cards myself, so I didn't see the appeal. But I did go ahead and add cards to the game, um, and they launched during my daily deal. And I think they... They've done an amazing thing in that they've, it's almost like they've added a multiplayer element to the game, in that people are playing the game longer, um, there's a more social element that's you know evident in the Steam community, and it's, it's really hard to explain, because you know, my game's a single player game, but having that social element has kept people playing long, you know, keep, kept people playing longer, and uh, I've got a few stats here, so one of my cards, it wasn't even a card, it was an emoticon. And, you know, it's like, you know, like a little happy face that you would type in. And you would earn that by trading cards. And I was having cards, some of those were selling for 8 or $9 on the Steam Marketplace. And my game's only $15, so it's like, that's kind of crazy. And then I was talking to Zaboid, the, uh, they're the company that makes the indie R retro RPGs like Cthulhu Saves the World and the, the recent Penny Arcade uh, Rain Slick games. And they... They're uh, Rain Slick uh, on the Precipice of Darkness number four uh, is on Steam for like five bucks. They had a trading card go for $30. <laughs> it, it, just, it just proves that people are crazy and that people like to collect stuff and that Valve, they just kind of know what they're doing. I mean, someone there decided that this is the way to do things. And I don't know. It's crazy. Personally, I don't. Like, I never really cared about trading cards, but I, I'm kind of ashamed to admit that I've bought a few now because I just want to see, some, you know, I just wanted to see what would happen when you have a collection. And I've sadly even bought some trading cards to my own game, as, as pathetic as that is. Wait, they don't give you those for free? They recently d added a thing where I can give myself cards. And, uh... Well, that's nice of them. And, uh, I was kind of worried because when I saw that, I thought, oh, well, can't developers basically screw their own market by giving himself a bunch of cards and giving them out. But Valve is smart. You can't sell those. Alex, have you have you engaged in this dirty, dirty virtual no. currency bullshit that is the trading card marketplace? 
I have not. Um, I mean, I've gotten some cards just by virtue of playing some games. Like, when I was playing through the new Civ Five expansion, I kept getting all these random cards floated my way that were, you know, George Washington and various other figures, and I was, I, I don't know what to do with these. I have sell them. them. I sell them. I So, when I, during the summer sale, you know, I, I'm super fortunate enough to have a, a access to a Steam Press account, which, contrary to common belief, is does not give you access to every game on Steam. And, in fact... The list of games you have access to changes all the time. So sometimes you'll have right. access to a game and then sometimes you won't. So I still buy games, especially the stuff that I don't know if it'll be around uh, a year from now. Um, but they had the community voting, and, and the community voting is what put up some of the games that I wanted to buy. And when you vote for those, you got every three times you voted, you got access, you got a trading card. And then like a week ago, I just sold them. Like, I don't know, I looked at what, you know, Valve gives you a graph and it says, Here's the average. So I just sold it for the average, and I made I made more than I should have because of the way exchange rates work, you know, because it's right. not universal on Steam. So, like, for example, there was a card that was going for, like, 12 cents U.S. dollars, but I think someone bought it in euros or some other European currency, and I made, like, 35 cents on it. So I have... I think I have, like, two bucks in my account or something, and I didn't do anything. So I guess... I can't complain with it's a it's a weird system because it's like everyone is colluding to just get stuff for free ultimately is what it's about yeah. and I don't know if it's just on the backs of people that are obsessed with collecting things and there's just that tiny amount that's just obsessed with collecting and the rest of us are just like fuck you guys we're going to get paid and go get games for free See, I'm all about that because I am all about exploiting people's obsessions wherever possible for my own monetary gain. So I think that this has actually given me a great avenue for that. So now that you've told me I can just go sell these dumb things, I think I'm going to start doing that now. This whole thing has basically convinced me that I just need to go free to play on everything from now on. <laughs> oh, clearly, <laughs> yes. No, microtransactions are the future. I don't know if you've heard that or not. Yeah. But it's, it's pretty ingenious because you're selling cards, you're never making any actual money. Like, you're just... Earning more money to give to Valve. So, I don't know. Like I said, they have analysts that have figured all this stuff out, and it's it's pretty crazy. But, but I mean... Noel I needs that money. Motherfucker's got to buy some more knives. Uh, yeah. I mean, but I mean, like, the the, the question, that, like, I like I always kind of had the back of my head was, for when you see all these games for so cheap, uh, obviously it's good for consumers. Like, if you just strictly look at it as... Consumers can buy more games. They like to buy more games. They'll play more games. That's obviously very consumer friendly. But as a developer, like, you know, you hear these numbers about 40x, but, you know, it's 40x at, you know, maybe a quarter of the value. Uh, so has that worked out for you? Like, ha does the math uh, by the multiplication work out that you're actually making way more money off of these sales? Or, or is there sort of like a long tail where you continue to get sales past um, the actual sales period? There's definitely a, a tail, uh, no pun intended, um, with with the sales that, like my game is pretty new. It's it was it's only like it was only like a month and a half old by the time it hit the summer sale. So my experience might be a little bit unique, but uh, the answer is yes. I mean it was an exponential gain of revenue despite being uh, half price, and uh, like other developers I've talked to, they they say it's all about that front page promotion. It's all about having a daily deal or a midweek madness or being like not just in the summer sale because every game is on sale during the summer it's being promoted on the front page i remember uh there was some 
tweets from it was on Twitter. It was the the uh, artist. I don't know his name, but it, Vector Park. They uh they make like really cool flash. Uh, they're almost like interactive toys. But they have a game on there on Steam, and I remember him twittering about. Like, someone asked him, why isn't your game on sale during the summer sale? Because, you know, he's an independent developer. He said, well, it's not going to be promoted. It's, I think he was basically inferring that he was just losing money if he did it. Hmm. So I think it's that front page promotion that makes a big difference. And uh, for me, it was just, it was a massive game being in that daily deal. Uh, like I said with Zaboid, uh, when they did Rain Slick 4, they had a flash deal. And the flash deal is only eight hours. And I think... That's different than the community vote. That's that's like a, that's something different. But there's a flash deal for every game. And uh, they said they made, I think they made as much or more during that eight-hour flash deal than they did during the, like, the launch period of the game, which was a month before. So, yeah, it's it's a huge revenue boost for developers. And I think, I think you want to try to take advantage of that. I experienced a similar thing when I was in the Xbox Live Arcade summer sale last year holiday when the game was 50% off for one day it was I think it was way beyond 40 times sales during one day <laughs> I'm curious Dean um, you know you're you're in the sort of unique position where you know your 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 first solo game was something that you you put out initially on Xbox Live Arcade so you had the the experience of working with Microsoft Publishing uh, sort of during during that period and now you've you've brought the game to Steam what do you think about um, what Microsoft is talking about with self-publishing for, for the Xbox One? Like, do you, do you hear what they're saying and say, like, this is something that sounds appealing to me? I mean, I don't know what your experience was working with them. I've heard from some devs that say it was totally fine, some that say it was a nightmare. I'm just curious, like, what your opinion of that stuff is. So I had a really good experience with Microsoft, and a big part of that is the people I'm involved with. Uh, a lot of people will look at my Steam numbers and say, well, you should have obviously just went to Steam first. And I counter that with looking at a lot of the bigger indie games like, uh, you know, Braid, Meat Boy, uh, so on. A lot of those games started on Xbox Live Arcade. And I think there's a lot to be said for, for starting on a console and having that. I don't want to call it cred because that's like dismissing the PC community. But there's, there's something about, you know, this game was a success on this platform. Now it's going to hit this other platform, which has a lot much bigger audience. And uh, that worked out in my favor. And, uh, you know, looking at that, I wouldn't, you know, I'm glad that I had worked with Microsoft, and I'm glad that, you know, they helped push me for Summer Arcade last year and then helped push the game on Steam. That's another thing about Steam is uh, you really don't have, like, producers and people you're talking to. I mean, it's a very small group of, of, uh, of PR and marketing people that you're talking to, and it's hard to get hold of anyone. I mean, there was that mix-up last year where they fired a bunch of people at Valve, and that was kind of weird, and that, that happened, like, right when I was trying to trying to you know, set up the marketing for my game and try to set up the launch, so having Microsoft in my corner for even that was kind of nice. So my experience has been really good with Microsoft. I think they've kind of screwed up every way possible as far as their PR has gone with uh, the yeah. Xbox yeah. One. But, uh, I think self-publishing is going to be a big deal. I, I am still not a huge proponent of... I mean, I, I don't buy into self-publishing as quick as some people do because there is something to be said about a curated platform. The, you know, Xbox already had Xbox Live Indie Games, and you were allowed to self-publish there. And it was community-voted, and we all know how that turned out. So 
you know, Sony saying they're going to allow us self-publishing is great. Um, I kind of hope it works out for them, and I hope it works out for Microsoft, but I'm still not 100% sold on it. Because even on Steam, you can't, I mean, you can self-publish, but getting in is very hard right now with Greenlight. But I think, I think it's a step in the right direction. I think it's good for indies. Uh, Microsoft saying that is, is very promising. Cool. Um, anything you can talk about as far as kind of like what you're working on, future plans type, type stuff right now, or uh, you, you still kind of kind of kind of not quite there yet? So, uh, like during the summer sale, I finally passed uh, 250,000 units sold across Xbox Live and uh, uh, Steam. So it's afforded me to kind of take a you know finally take a break in my life and say you know I'm I'm at that really fun. Uh, moment where I can take time and uh, like just let ideas sim in my head. I do have ideas for future games. It will be nice to uh, not be known as that dust guy. Sure. You know, because I just I've only had, got the one game under my belt. But yeah, I'm hoping to announce some stuff. Hopefully, maybe next year. Cool. Glad to hear it. Awesome. Well, why don't we uh, move on to, to the headlines? Uh, I get. I'm gonna get this one out of the way, real right. fast. Is just woke up to sheer terror. Just tons of people on Twitter telling me, Patrick, they have announced a release date for Amnesia, a machine for pigs, <laughs> uh, September 10th. I am simultaneously enormously excited and absolutely fucking terrified that there is another Amnesia game coming out because Amnesia: The Dark Descent is. Easily one of my favorite games of all time, like probably my favorite horror game of all time. And the Dear Esther is a phenomenal game. You know, it's it's experimental, you know, kind of hit or miss. I wouldn't blame anyone for not being that into it, and I thought the ending was pretty bad. But those guys know visual design, and having them work on a follow-up to Amnesia is just holy shit. And so that is coming out, I guess, September 10th, and... I kept being kind of excited when they would delay that game because it was like, oh, well, then I, I don't have to play it yet because what am I going to do, not play the new Amnesia? Ugh. Oh, I'm excited because, I yeah, I'm with you. I loved Amnesia. It's just like so they, – they, they, took, they took the Silent Hill thing of walking up to enemies after you kill them and saying, well, that doesn't look that scary. That's, that's kind of dumb looking. And they, took, they turned it on its head. You know, you're not, you can't look at the bad guys. You can't – you have to – you have to run. You, have, you can't fight, and I don't know. That game just hit all the right marks. It's it's one of the it's one of the only games I wasn't able to finish just from sheer stress because I I have my own anxiety issues, and as much as I love horror and horror games, and horror games are hard for me often because of the fact that I have to make the decision to go into that scary room that I myself would be like, nah, fuck that shit, I'm out. So in the game, you have to do it, and there were too many moments in that game where I was just like. I know what's coming. I know what's going to happen, and I can't do it. I just can't do it. And to be fair, that's because the game is so good at atmosphere and building the tension and all that stuff. I will. I'm guessing I will probably get a few hours into Machine for Pigs before I'm just. I just tap out. I'm like, nope. But I will probably enjoy just about all of it while also sweating profusely. I mean, I think that's why horror games. I mean, obviously, let's plays are. A pretty popular phenomenon of the last like five years or so but i think it's also why you have you know folks like was it pewdiepie is one of the more popular youtube let's players who primarily plays 
uh, horror games or plays a lot of horror games. And I don't think it's a big shock that horror games are the, one of the more popular uh, topics for Let's Plays because I think p- people a lot like you, Alex, where they're they're interested in being scared, but they're not interested right. in being the person that actually has to survive the scare. Like they want to they want to experience these games like they do a movie, which is that you can close your eyes and someone else is going to keep going forward for you. And you don't have to be the right. one that survives the encounter or interacts with the gameplay mechanics. You can purely just enjoy the thrill ride of the scares and treat it like a roller coaster as opposed to an interactive roller coaster where you're the one that actually is going up and down those hills. Um, and so I, that's part of the reason I really like playing it, but it's also the reason I really like doing like spooking with scoops because people, you know, they, they get to have that interaction with the game without all of the tension that comes with actually hitting forward on the keyboard. And that's evident in the chat in Spoken with Scoops, because you just, I just constantly see people says, you know, F that, I'm not going to play this game, but, you know, thank God that Patrick's doing it for me. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Alex, you got anything on your end? I got a few. Um, so I, I feel like I just kind of want to address this because of the sort of weird absurdity of it all. Um, so yesterday the news broke that uh, Prey 2 or Prey something despite previous claims uh, by Bethesda that it was not going to Arcane, that Arcane Studios was not working on this whole thing, uh, is in fact working on a Prey thing, that, that perhaps the Prey thing that Human Head was at one time working on. And then in the Kotaku story, there were all these like leaked emails where people were talking, at, at Bethesda were talking about, you know, we're going to get slammed from the, from the press sneak fucks uh, or whatever that, that they decided to refer to us as such a weird situation because they have been kind of steadfastly denying this very vehemently uh, in a way that a lot of companies would just sort of like, we don't comment on this sort of thing, you know, whatever. I'm kind of curious what, Patrick, you think of this whole situation, considering we know we get lied to by PR people a lot, but this is kind of like the most direct public acknowledgement of that in a long time. And I'm just like, what do you think, made them kind of go in this weird kind of shady direction with not acknowledging arcane or any of that stuff it's strange from top to bottom especially you know when you you include what may or may not happened involving human head and the version of that game they were working on at some point and do not appear to be working on Uh any longer oh no did we lose patrick you lost me god Ah. you know i mean it really pissed me off too you know it's well, I, I don't know what Patrick's point was going to be before we uh, kind of lost him there. Um, but for me, the thing that I... Oh, there's Patrick. Patrick, are you back? You not hear me? Yeah. We... Yeah, you you just, like, seized up for a minute. There. Oh, weird. Oh, your network connection is experiencing difficulties. Check your connectivity. Oh, no. I don't know. But you can hear me now? Well, you're back now. All right, whatever. Yeah, I can totally hear you now. So why don't you go... Uh, I think it's weird top to bottom, uh, especially yeah. when you start to think about the, the human head's involvement and whatever version of that game they were working on uh, and do not appear to be working on any longer. What I don't understand is why Bethesda said anything at all. Uh, I don't, I right. don't, you know, Pete Hines is their PR guy. He, he largely represents, you know, Zenimax and Bethesda and, uh, you know, sort of the subsidiary companies they work on and, I just never quite understood why they chose to say anything. If they just wanted to keep yeah. it at no comment and move on, that would have been fine. And I think people would have – there would have been reports about what was going on behind the scenes. But what makes them look really bad right now is these emails that where they're talking very candidly, which is not a shock. I'm sure this happens all over the place. And 
to be frank, like if developers are a little on edge about the press, I think that means the press is usually doing their job. Uh, I think that right. developers shouldn't be 100% comfortable uh, with the press. Uh, I think there is a friendly tension that occurs between the press developer relationship. Um, and yeah, it just, it just strikes me as very odd that they're making these very public statements that are essentially, you know, if you believe a lot of the reporting that's coming out of Kotaku, which so far seems to jive pretty well, um, that they're just arguing semantics, right? Like about whether it's yeah. human heads prey to or arcanes prey to. And their own juggling of semantics seems to have painted themselves into this weird corner where they should just issue a press release that says arcane is working on, uh, you know, a, a game, or working on something called prey or a sci-fi game. Just put it to bed and people right. they're fueling their own bad speculation by not just coming out and being a little more forthright. And until they do that, I'm not necessarily sure that they will do that. Uh, I, th- I think you'll probably see angry tipsters uh, like the one that yeah. the Kotaku heard from uh, originally anonymously um, putting out stuff like that, uh, you know, for, for, for one reason or another. I mean, the one thing I do understand is their reluctance to necessarily say wh- who, what Arcane is working on, whether what they're doing with the Prey franchise, because I'm guessing there's probably some weird legal stuff going on with Human Head, considering the very unpleasant way that relationship apparently seemed to sour. But, that, like you said, the normal way to handle something like this would be to say, we're not commenting on this, we're not talking about this, we're not talking about Prey 2 right now, any of that stuff. They have not done that. They've actually been kind of weirdly, I mean, roundabout, but like sort of specific in the ways that they're roundabout and kind of fueled the speculation by the way they've handled it. And so, you know, as much as we hate the way Microsoft will often be like, we do not comment on rumors or speculation, that sort of blanket statement, that sort of like very specific way of not dealing with it never really gets you into trouble either. So I kind of think maybe there's something to be learned from all this, which is to say that if you really don't want to talk about something, fucking don't talk about it at all because all you're going to do is rile us up and rile everyone up and get you into some weird positions like this. Well, and, and, and to be honest, uh, I don't really care about all of this stuff. Like I don't, I don't really care if arcane is or isn't working on a prey game. Uh, I mean the, the story about human head and what appears to be Zenimax long relation, long troubled relationship with independent developers. And, uh, a what appears to be multiple cases of them, uh, for lack of a better term, appearing to bully people around. Um, that's that's an interesting story. That's one that yeah. uh, I would like to, to know more about. Um, but I, I think a lot of this actually comes down to uh, the video game industry's obsession with secrecy that you don't see in other mediums. Um, you do not, you know, in, in movies, when there is a sequel to something, they just go ahead and plant that flag and announce that movie three years in advance because they're trying to... I mean, it's a little bit different in movies because there's a lot of uh, strategy in picking out your release date that I think is less so in video games. But movies in general, if something's a success and they want to make another one, right after it's a success, they just say, hey, we're going to go make another one of those. And right. I think games, the industry itself could benefit from taking some lessons from other mediums and just... Dropping the cloak of secrecy doesn't mean you have to give away your big mechanic. It doesn't mean you need to say what the the setup even is for the next one. But people are obsessed about uh, another uh, a sequel or what someone is working on next. And I think we would stop a lot of the very unhealthy and troublesome speculation that leads to stuff like this if the industry just kind of 
dropped its bullshit a little bit and just said, you know, and it's different for different developers, you know, like stuff like what, you know, Dean is potentially working on. He hasn't maybe figured out what it is yet. So he can say he's working on another game, but I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, you should announce your title and sort of your general idea of what you're doing. But if you knew that you were going to make, like, just say Dust 2, like maybe then it would be make more sense just to let people know, like, hey, that's what I'm doing. Stay off my back. I'll talk to you in two years when I've got a better idea of what that's going to be. And I think a big part well, of that is... That didn't work out so well for Phil Fish. No. I think a big part of it is that the movie industry is a well, well-oiled machine. Like, they know how to make movies. They know how to... Like, their PR know what they're doing. They know how to get actors into, you know, uh, night shows and talk about the movie. I think the gaming industry is just still in its infancy when it comes to that sort of thing. I mean, it takes... You're looking at games that AAA studios are still spending three, four, five years on. And uh, that... You know, what, once we, I don't know, I don't, want, I don't want to say standardized, but there needs to be a little bit more standardized uh, practice with some of that stuff. And then, uh, you know, maybe those then developers and publishers will feel a little bit more comfortable just saying, yep, you know, this is a trilogy. Well, I want to step back because look at how that's bit people in the past, you know, announcing a trilogy beforehand and then it comes to bite them in the ass because they can't deliver on it or the first game sucks. And maybe the movie industry is more willing to, you know, eat those failures because there's just so much money being involved and it's such a well-oiled machine. Dean, confirm or deny, you were working on Prey 2. You know, I uh, applied for, I was offered a job at Human Head many years ago. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so, I could have been working on Prey 2, which I would not be against. I was a big fan of the first one, and I'm super excited for the second one, and I think this, you know, all this speculation and all this dirty business is, you know, really sucks surrounding that game, because yeah. I'm very excited for Prey 2. Cool. All right, Patrick, what's your next thing? Uh, so, I don't, like, I feel obligated to say that they announced Call of Duty multiplayer, but I don't have anything sure. to say about it, because <laughs> whew, like, that stuff yeah. just goes right over my head. It does seem like the response uh, to the multiplayer uh, this year is uh, a little more excitement it seems like they're being a little more progressive uh based on the changes they're they are making i couldn't even tell you what they are i just know that the, the what i've been doing when i've been reading about it it seems people are more excited than they have been in the past when it, it might just be like well of course there's multiplayer it's call of duty i mean like some of the changes like you know from my perspective like i think it's really cool that they're adding female soldiers into multiplayer uh the the games industry has, has long hidden behind the excuse that it's only a technical problem while we haven't seen more of that, which there are certainly probably uh, some rationales for that, but it being constantly used as a blanket reason why we don't see more of that in games. Uh, So I think Call of Duty, you know, the biggest franchise in video games, uh, saying, hey, we're going to have this variety in our multiplayer. I hope that, you know, prompts sort of a sweeping change amongst other, you know, Everyone else copies Call of Duty, so I would hope that maybe they copy Call of Duty in this respect too. Uh, given that you know the developers in the interviews I read said that it was constantly you know one of the number one things they were asked for was that they have more of a female uh, population than you might think for a game that constantly kind of gets characterized as for dude bros, uh, but that they those players uh, don't get to represent themselves in game and constantly have to play as as male avatars and so i think i think that was for me like what i find interesting about this stuff i think it's very cool that call of duty is doing that and i definitely hope that 
that signals uh, you know other developers deciding to put in the effort uh, to to kind of if for nothing else then just to be in feature parity for for <laughs> as as crass as that sounds. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. Call of Duty multiplayer. Uh, I have very little to say about that because I I don't think I've played any since uh, like three. So yeah, sorry, I have nothing to add to this. I, I I like Call of Duty multiplayer, but they, you know, it's been kind of the same for a long time. So yeah, doesn't do a whole lot for me personally. Uh, I do have one more uh, semi noteworthy thing, and I'm actually kind of curious what what Dean thinks about this. So this is. Um, We've kind of talked about a little bit of this on Monday, uh, Microsoft sort of the, the, the endless placation of, of the, the demands of the people. Uh, most recent thing, Connect no longer required to run the system. Uh, that was something that they had pushed for a long time. And then, you know, basically as of this week, they were like, nope, you can just run it now without Connect being plugged in. You don't have to. We're still going to sell it with the system, but, you know, it's... It's there if you want it. it you, we want you to want it, but you don't have to anymore, I guess. Um, I, I've never been a big proponent of Connect. I, I, there are maybe two games ever that have done much of anything for me, uh, and at least one of them was Dance Central. So it's like, I've always thought it was kind of a superfluous thing. This feels like maybe at least a tacit acknowledgement that even they don't necessarily feel a whole lot of burning desire from developers to work with this thing i'm what, what what do you guys think i think it's uh i think it's an obvious acknowledgement um obviously they're probably looking at sales you know like pre-orders and stuff but like i said this is this has been weird microsoft i, I was a huge fan of the 360 i actually kind of like the connect because i've got kids and mm-hmm. it, that like i think most of that is because of double fine like happy action theater and once upon a monster and stuff like that stuff is really cool. Double Fine has nailed it with Connect, and I think smart developers can do stuff with it. I don't really care about uh, gestures when I'm using Netflix and stuff like that. You know, I just rather use a controller. Uh, I I thought it was going to be growing pains, you know, with the Force Connect in every box, but I had come to accept it. I thought, okay, this is what they're going to do, and you know, if people want the Star Trek future, companies like Microsoft are going to have to you know, help us through these growing pains. And in that sense, I thought, okay, I'll accept it. I'm going to buy an Xbox One anyway, you know. I'm not thrilled about some of the potential security issues. But then hearing stuff like this, I don't know. I I, I kind of wish they would just commit. I mean, this is gonna, this is better for the long run, and there's a lot of a lot of gamers are cheering for this. And, you know, a lot of gamers are hoping for a connectless, connectless uh, package. And, you know, I would buy one too, but... Like I said, I'll probably buy a Connect anyway because of my kids. But yeah, this is this is just really messy. It's really dirty. I mean, you, what was ta- talked about on the latest Bombcast, they did a good job, kind of, you know, covering all these bases. And I, I pretty much agree that Microsoft, I don't know, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, well, they're just trying to find a get, way to get more people interested in the system. I mean, you know, my understanding is that pre-orders have gone up rather precipitously since, uh, you know, they, they, they first announced the, the first major changes to that thing. Um, but, you know, I get the impression that in some ways they're trying to just, they're trying to put themselves over the top and they probably feel like they haven't yet. Um, and I have to imagine that they're, in going through and polling developers and, and, you know, seeing what people are trying to do with the Connect. If they're at a point now where they're literally saying this thing is no longer required, you know, it's, it's one of two things. Either they're just not getting the developer interest that they want, 
uh, or this is some sort of weird, you know, play to the whole, like, oh, no, we're not helping the NSA spying thing or whatever. I mean, I don't actually think it's that, but uh, it, it's... It just, it just feels like a really weird move to make, you know, so far after all the other moves that they've already made to try and, you know, make the audience happy. And I don't, you know, I have to believe that it's just that they just aren't seeing the future in this thing that they once saw in it. And I'm, I, I don't know, you know, I don't think they'll ever admit to that. And I imagine they'll keep trying to push it as if it's like, you know, the most key thing in the Xbox, you know, like one of the key features for a while. But I haven't heard of any developers at launch or coming up that have really said, oh, yeah, no, we're really excited to work on this connecting. We have some great ideas. Like, Fantasia is, like, the one example I can give of, some, of a developer that seems like they're really into it, and they're actually doing something kind of cool with it. Yeah, and I think I think that's true. I mean, even Microsoft, like, they, you know, none of <clears throat> none of their shows or conventions or conferences have, have been about games on Connect. You know, it's always been about yeah. the external stuff. So I, I got the feeling that they don't even think of it as a big gaming thing, you know, and... I, you know, obviously they're thinking of the Xbox as more of an all-around, you know, in the living room multimedia hub. You know, that that makes sense. Um, it sucks for us gamers, and yeah. and I think, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm I'm worried that they're losing the mess. I mean, they've they've lost the message on some things. I think a lot of the changes they've made recently, like the DRM and stuff, has been uh, has been like smart. I think you know it's made fans happy. But this, the Connect thing, is is very weird. Yeah. Well, I think that's about all the main headlines I got, Patrick. If you got any other big ones, we can toss them out there. Otherwise, we can just do a couple of quickies and then maybe take some user questions. What do you think? Well, the, the last big one uh, would be the, the announcement of Grand Theft Auto Online. Uh, that was... Uh, a, so the idea that Grand Theft Auto Five was going to have online, I don't think is the big surprising part. I think what's really interesting is that they're treating it as a... Essentially, as a separate product. Like, the way they're phrasing it is that Grand Theft Auto Five comes with Grand Theft Auto Online for free. Like, as though it is a complete... It's not just the multiplayer part of GTA V. It is a completely separate experience that just so happens to come free with GTA V and that it's not going to be on the disc when the game comes out in September. It launches on October 1st, two weeks after the game's released, which seems like that is Rockstar saying, here's how we're going to prevent people from finishing the single player, which they're, you know, maybe they're looking at stats that say it takes people about two weeks to kind of burn through their traditionally 40-hour storylines. And at two weeks, you drop GTA Online. That hooks people. That keeps the disc in the machine. That stops it from going to uh, GameStop or Amazon or any other uh, trade in place and potentially hooks them for much longer. And I, I have to wonder if maybe this suggests that Maybe not at first because they don't want to cannibalize GTA 5 and they want to see what the response is, but that potentially they could be releasing GTA Online as its own separate thing that lives in between the, re the new major releases of a Grand Theft Auto game. Because, you know, right now we get these yeah, every I three mean, or four I, years. I seem to remember at some point, and I don't know if this is... Oh, wait. Oh, Patrick, you're, you're glitching out again. Um, I seem to remember that there was... Uh some sort of GTA online thing that was proposed a long time ago. And I don't think it ever really came to fruition. You know, it, it was, I, I, maybe I'm totally misremembering this, but I seem to remember someone saying, oh yeah, they're working on some sort of like multiplayer only GTA thing. And I'm wondering if some of the ideas from that found their way into this. The thing that's interesting to me, and I saw someone describe it as, as this, but also in a negative light, which I actually don't agree at all, uh, is that it looks like PlayStation home, but with guns. And 
in that regard, I think that they have accidentally found out exactly what's been wrong with home all this time. Is that you could not run around and commit crimes and do horrible things in home. It's like, it's a lifestyle thing, but where is all the fun, you know, violence, frankly? And I, I, I look at that and I think... <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, I've, I've spent regrettably little time in home, uh, thankfully. Uh, but, you know, I, looking at what they're doing with this, the sort of like, we're hanging out, you can do the most absurd, dumb stuff possible... In a, in a way, it also kind of reminds me of, like, Burnout Paradise, where it's just, like, you you're, you get your team together, you try and do the most absurd stuff possible you can in the environment you're given, but you can get out of the car and, you know, do, like, all the horrible gun violence that you would do in the main game. And I think that sounds pretty fucking great, personally. It yeah. looks it looks awesome. I, yeah. that, that trailer, I mean, there was just so much... Yeah, it, it just looked fun. I mean, just, just a huge playground. I, I played a bit of uh, 4 online, which I thought was really amazing. It was one of those... While all these ideas sound really great, I have no time to play any of this stuff, but if I had a group of friends and we were regularly doing this sort of thing, it'd be great. And that game's still always at the top of, like, the top ten playlists of, I think, like, of Steam and Xbox. Cool. Have I, retur- have uh, I returned from the dead? Yes, you're back. Weird. You're I don't... Back. I don't... Mmm. Mmm. Um, all right, why don't we... I guess there's a... We'll try and do some short headlines. Uh... Games for Windows Live Marketplace closing August 22nd. Client will remain operational. So no longer will the storefront be available, uh, but uh, there will still be sort of the client wrapper, which slowly but surely games seem to be removing. I know uh, the new update to Street Fighter 4 is going to remove the Games for Windows Live wrapper, go Steam. Uh, people have looked at the registry for the Batman, uh, Ar- the Arkham games, and they're taking out the games for Windows Live stuff and wrapping that around <coughs> fully in Steam. Uh, so it seems like the, the continually grand but uh, flawed experiment of Games for Windows Live is is truly coming to an end. I'm so, maybe that's for the best. I'm so glad that I didn't have to implement that as a Microsoft published game. And, uh, <laughs> like I'm just glad that early on we decided now we're not going to do it, and obviously that was probably leading up to this. Clearly, clearly for the best. Um, Patrick, the NFL season pass going away on PlayStation 3. Uh, nothing on Xbox is here. No console football games. I know you were using that at some point to enjoy watching your favorite football team while in San Francisco. Are you sad about this? Uh, no, because I found a workaround, which is that the oh, okay. anniversary edition of Madden, uh, which is 100 bucks, comes with uh, a redemption code for Sunday Ticket. So if you don't know, NFL Sunday Ticket gets you access to all of the games all at once, and it's got some cool visual stuff so that you can be keeping tabs on multiple games at once. It gets you access to Red Zone, which shows, you know, as it describes, every game as it's going to the Red Zone and just flips between those. Um, it was available on the PS3, and it was about 400 bucks the first year. And I want to say it was 300 bucks last year, which is cheaper than going to the bar every Sunday. So even though it's expensive, right. it made sense. Um, but to the anniversary edition of Madden this year, uh, it's 100 bucks, and it gets you access to Sunday Ticket on uh, your PC and your mobile devices, so like your iPhone and iPad and, and what have you. Um, my PC is hooked up to my TV, so, <laughs> so, so I can redeem that and then get the Sunday Ticket experience on my TV because uh, I have an HDMI cable uh, wired uh, together. And so I'm basically getting NFL Ticket for 100 bucks, which is... A steal, and if I decide to not hold on to the game, then that that NFL ticket goes down, you know, even more. 
Um, so I'm I'm not too bummed, but I am surprised that they clarify with DirecTV that this isn't part of Xbox One either. Uh, and given the big NFL partnership they announced at the reveal event, you would have thought maybe that was the explanation. But I think it's too bad. I think Sunday Ticket is a good deal for folks that want to watch uh, out-of-market games and don't want to go to the bar all day to watch them, especially if you're into fantasy games uh, and have a fantasy league, because uh, that can get expensive real fast uh, every Sunday. So, Fair enough. Uh, Patrick, why don't uh, people in the chat, if you would like to send questions to Patrick, uh, we'll get those together. Two very quick ones while uh, Patrick is collecting those. Audio Surf Air, early access in September. Is anyone as excited about this as I am? I fucking loved Audio Surf. Uh, one of my favorite, like, first early indie games, I think, that I ever got super into. Anyone else super into that? Definitely. That, I think it was, like, the first big indie game. Um, maybe that and Cave Story were, like, two, sure. two of the big ones that people thought, wow, you can make your own games. And with the advent of digital distribution, yeah, everyone I knew was playing Audio Surf. I still do. It's awesome. Terrific. Patrick? Do you want to explain to people what Audio Surf is? Audio Surf is a game in which you take music from your computer, uh, load it into the game, and it creates uh, procedurally generated levels uh, that are sort of like rhythm-based movement, lane-shifting kind of stuff uh, based on the music. And you can use anything. So it's a little bit, in a way, it's it's sort of like a spiritual successor to, I don't know, something like Vib Ribbon, uh, but with, you know, it's very much its own gameplay and visual aesthetic. It, it's something that's a little bit more like a frequency or an amplitude in that regard. Uh, I actually remember that at one point uh, when I was at Harmonix, uh, I got there and I was talking about Audio Surf and they were like, yeah, we're trying to decide if we want to hire that guy or sue him. <laughs> uh, they did neither in the end. Everyone there actually really was very ad ad admiring of that game. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's super fun. One of my favorite uh, things of the last several years. And... Um, Last question. This is the most important question of the day. Coolio is selling his entire music catalog at auction so that he can become a chef. That's great. Who here is who here is willing to go in with me on auctioning on, on bidding for the Coolio song Would catalog? It, how much is there an estimate? Like what? what Opening it, bid is at 140 grand for everything. All 130 songs that he has, including the Keenan and Kel theme and Gangsta's Paradise. Oh, that's, Just throwing that out there. Have you talked to Jeff about this? I'm trying to. Th I think you might be talking to the wrong crowd here. Mm. Dean, no, not no taker. Not interested. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's tempting. I'm, I'm actually more interested just to see him become a chef. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently, he's super into to the culinary pursuits these days. I'm very curious to see what uh, that would that would turn into. All right, that's all I got at this point. So. Okay, uh, Alex. Uh, a lot of people are asking thoughts hmm. on SummerSlam, the thing you are doing this weekend. It's true. I am going. To SummerSlam uh, today. I fly out tonight. Um, and it's going to be... So they're showing off the entire WWE 2K14 roster, a bunch of the modes and stuff. There will be wrestlers there uh, who I will be interviewing with this this new digital recorder, which I bought, so I'm not just using my cell phone all the time now. Um, SummerSlam looks like a fun card. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, Daniel Bryan versus Cena, uh, some of the other matches that, that are on the show. I, I don't have any serious predictions because everything going on right now in the WWE is a little strange and confusing to me. I don't really know where things are headed, but I like that. I like that I can't just sit there and predict what's going to happen because, I mean, it's a scripted event. So, you know, at some point, sometimes it, it tends to get pretty predictable, but I'm... I've been enjoying the product for the most part recently. Uh, you know, we did the podcast recently, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually super looking forward to the show. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, Dean, I'm sure you get this 
question all the time, but people are definitely curious if there are any plans in the future to try and take Dust to to platforms that aren't uh, Steam or XBLA. I get, you know, the the ones that people were asking were specifically sort of like Mac and Linux, but uh, I don't know how you built that game and if that is even something that's reasonable or possible uh, with the, with the way you put it together. So Mac and Linux are possible because the game was built with X and A, um, and there's a thing called Mono Game, which is like a movement to try to it, it basically lets you uh, port the games to uh, other platforms, and Mac and Linux are, are like targets for that. So is iOS. So the options there, um, since Microsoft is my publisher, I still need to you know arrange stuff with them. But it's something I'm kind of looking into. And obviously, the big other big one is Sony platforms. I, you know, I've talked to Sony and, st- and stuff, but uh, obviously, being a Microsoft published game makes things a little bit trickier. Um, but yeah. I'm actually more excited to kind of move forward. Like I said, it would be nice to have more than one game under my belt. Um, but I'm I'm not, you know, like rolling out Mac and Linux at this point. Awesome. All the kid, all the cool kids are going over to Unity, so that's I might try some Unity. I've heard that. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I mean, Unity offers the ability to, you know, it's not as simple as just like you know, file export, go to Mac. But in terms of you know having that unified code base, it is substantially easier at least my understanding is that it is much much easier to accomplish getting it out on multiple platforms including you know tablet devices and, and things like that than using things like xna yeah and that's the shame about xna i mean like everybody knows that it's already kind of dying microsoft has stopped support and it's a shame to have spent you know several years of my life learning finally learning how to program and you know being excited about this new language and it's like oh you know it's not valid anymore i can't use it anymore but Unity sounds like, you know, everyone's supporting it. All the major platform holders are supporting it. And, you know, for, like, new developers, I would definitely recommend staying away from something like XNA and trying to go into something like Unity. Let's see. Uh, definitely there's uh, – I'm not sure if uh, either of you have had a chance to catch up on it this morning, but definitely a lot of discussion uh, happening on, on Twitter and other places about uh, – there was a story that went up on, on Polygon uh, yesterday written by uh, Brian Crescente. Uh, basically, a sort of writing. He wrote a larger feature about some of the support groups and stories from a number of developers that uh, have had trouble coping with uh, death threats and harassment and uh, some of the other uh, pretty insidious uh, things that have happened as a result of them being developers and being close to their community and trying to solicit feedback. Uh, where it's definitely stepped over the line and the the bit that's kind of gone. Uh, viral uh, was about a Bioware writer uh, who wrote for Dragon Age uh, 2, you know, which was not necessarily the best received Bioware game uh, by any uh, extent of the imagination. Uh, but, you know, she started receiving, you know, extreme death threats, you know, uh, drawings about her children being, you know, killed on the, the way to school. Uh, and she eventually decided that that was enough and she's going freelance to kind of get out of the limelight and not uh, be so, I guess, persecuted while working for for bioware um i think it's really tragic i think video games are a unique medium in which the creators and the people who uh enjoy what's created the fans are so close and that is not something you see elsewhere you don't see you know ashton kutcher you know personally replying in message board threads discussing his latest film Uh, and yet that is what you see out of almost every developer in video games. And the thing that worries me is if enough of these stories are happening, 
that we start to see an erosion of that culture and you start to see more of what you see in other mediums where people hire firms or you know managers to run their twitter accounts to run their facebook interaction to run you know in interfacing with the community and that we no longer have that sort of one-to-one give and take between the people who create things and the people who enjoy what's created uh and that's that's that bums me out and it's 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 awful for everyone involved especially for all of us kind of on the sidelines that you know just want to see more of this happen and and what can you do to stop uh people from acting in this way you and i talked about this a little bit last night about you know being a public figure being at the you know being in people's eye like you know obviously you're, you're journalists so that you're you know people know your face they know what you write uh me being a one-man company you know like i'm the face of my company i'm the face of the games i make and like you know sure we get a lot of crap you know people say nasty things but stuff like death threats and you know drawings of our children i, I read about that this morning it's really disgusting it's a real shame because you know i i love reading what developers are talking about on Twitter, you know, sometimes they don't, sometimes some of them need a bit of a leash and kind of hold back on what they're saying and, you know, think about what they're trying to say and try to understand that, you know, 140 characters isn't the right way to express really important uh, subjects. But, uh, yeah, it's a real shame. I mean, I feel really bad for her. uh, And I just, you know, sometimes people are just really nasty and, you know, if it's driving people away from this industry or from being public, that's really sad. And the only thing I'll add to this is just I'm, I'm looking in the chat right now, and while most people are, you know, kind of reacting the way you would expect people to react to something like this, which is to say this is pretty awful, there are a couple of people who are seem to be saying that, you know, they don't really understand why people are taking this so seriously. Why are they being such babies about this big deal? It's just a threat on the Internet, whatever. The thing I will say is that, while you may not take, if someone were to do that to you and you don't feel it and you don't feel anything about it, uh, you're, you're immune to that sort of, you know, a threatening behavior, that's great for you. You don't have that sort of, that, that level of, sim- uh, of sensitivity to that. Most people aren't you. And most people don't have those kinds of reactions to telling people telling them they're going to kill them or their children or their families or whatever. Oh, it's terrifying. I don't. Yeah, I don't even get that level of stuff. I get people talking about how much they hate me and whatever, and even I'm kind of sensitive to that, and that's fine. I can at some a certain point I realize it's 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 different, and I'm I'm I can deal with it. If someone were actually threatening me, if someone were actually telling me they were going to kill me or something like that, I would take that very seriously. I don't care if it's an idle threat. I don't care if it's just someone mouthing off on the internet. It's it, that level taking it to that escalate and people are very quick to take it to escalate it to that level these days because it is so anonymous and it's so easy to just kind of barf out whatever heinous thing comes into your mind whenever you're pissed off. That is what that is something the Internet has enabled in a way that I don't necessarily enjoy. But, you know, it just kind of comes part and parcel with being a public figure on the Internet, like Patrick and you said. I, one, one of the things uh, I will point out, some people in the chat are saying that the so the, the story that kind of went viral was this story that went up on Metro, which was taking a piece from the Polygon story. And the way I guess Metro wrote it was saying that she left because of the harassment. It appears that's not necessarily the case. She did leave. She left for what she says were family reasons and some other stuff she wanted to do. I think a lot of the, the points we're talking about still stand, regardless of the reason she left. Like, these events still yeah. occurred. And I think what I found most distressing was one of the, I think one of the, er- Oh, there he cut up. up again. Ah. I, I was going to say, um, like I, I had personal experience with this because I think roughly about 10 years ago, right when I got married, 
I decided. Sorry, Patrick, you cut out for a sec there. It's all right, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, I kind of experienced this about 10 years ago. Um, because, you know, like the internet was becoming quite a big thing. You know, I actually met my wife on the internet, so, which was exciting. But so we've been together for 12, 13 years now. But around that time, uh, right when I got married, I just kind of got fed up with how people were acting online um, because I was becoming a bit of a social figure. And uh, I decided, you know, I don't really have time for this. I want to start up a family. And so I basically cut myself off from all social media for about seven or eight years. I, you know, I didn't use like chat programs or, you know, how to email anybody. And it was nice. And one of the reasons I did that was just because of, it wasn't so much harassment, but there were people saying, you know, I'm going to come, I'm going to drive out and visit you. You know, it was, it was more friendly, but it was, it was also one of those, you know, I didn't want to be that public. You know, I kind of just wanted my own private life. And it wasn't until I started working on this game that I decided, okay, I kind of need to, you know, start putting myself out there again because people, you know, I need to sell this thing. But I can, you know, I can understand, you know, those kind of threats really scaring people away because, you know, anonymity online gives you a lot of power. When you're a public face like, like you guys are, or like I kind of am, it, it can get really scary, especially if, you know, your family's out there and you're trying to protect your loved ones. Yeah, and, you know, as someone that doesn't really have, you know, a family to protect necessarily, you know, it, it's kind of just me sort of fielding that stuff, and that's fine. You know, I, that if it's just me, I can deal with it. I can't even imagine if people started threatening people, other people that I cared about, because I don't think I would be able to react to that in a way that was at all conducive to me continuing this line of work. I totally understand where that woman is coming from. I think that she... You know, if I got that level of threat, I would totally reconsider my position and what I was doing as well. And, you know, I think it's, in, you know, whatever you thought of the writing or whatever in Dragon Age 2, I didn't like Dragon Age 2, but that's the point. You, you make criticisms, you criticize, you talk about the product, you talk about the work involved. If you're going to take it to that personal level, you're no longer criticizing. You're just a bully and frankly, kind of a piece of shit. And that sort of behavior, we've, I, I think we've, really tolerated it for too long and seeing sites like Kotaku and IGN make small steps toward policing that kind of stuff and sort of just kind of try and excise it from their communities where they can I think that's admirable and I hope that we start to go more in that direction with a lot of this stuff because it just it just doesn't need those are voices that do not need to be heard freedom of speech whatever you're using your freedom in literally the worst way imaginable and I don't ever want to interact with people like that sure there was that similar story on, uh, I don't know if you saw it on Kotaku, of the uh, the lady who was harassed by another another user, and she tried to complain to Microsoft, and they just kind of dragged their heels to uh, enforce their, I don't know if they banned the guy or what. He was basically making rape threats uh, against her and stuff, you know, which people do on Xbox Live. But the fact that it took so long and she had to make it public before anyone at Microsoft would acknowledge her, like, that's a big problem. And... Yeah, there definitely needs to be that sort of policing, and having news sites cover that stuff is great. Well, I th For yeah, sure. I think uh, I think that pretty well covers the topic. Uh, Dean, I want to I want to thank you for for coming on the show, for joining us, for being our first guest. Thank you guys. I privilege is all mine. You know, I'm you guys have been doing a great job so far. I'm really enjoying it. Um, and definitely, congratulations on the the one year anniversary of the game. It's, thank it, you. It was it was a favorite of mine last year, and I'm and I'm, I'm glad that it was a success, uh, success for you. Okay, and uh, there was I don't know if Patrick's been handing them out, but there's I brought a bunch of free uh, codes for oh yeah, I've viewers. Been, I've oh, yeah been he's been dumping them in the yeah, chat. Yeah, I've been dumping them in the chat. Cool. People uh, redeeming those. So 
Uh, I'll go through and see if there's any I missed. But in any case, that is bombing in the AM with Scoos and the Wolf for Friday. Scoos and the Wolf? Is that what you said? I'm going to blame that on my bandwidth and not on the fact that I can't speak. Um, But uh, uh, we'll join you guys again next Monday before you, I guess, before you fly out. Yeah, I'll be in my hotel room uh, for SummerSlam before I, uh, I fly back home. Uh, a d- funny thing I forgot to mention, while I'm at SummerSlam, there is a very good chance I'll be in the room with Warrior oh, again. You're going to interview him again. You're going to interview him again, right? I don't know if I am. I don't know if I is It might not be an interview situation. <laughs> it might be more just a public thing. But if I can, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can make happen. Just don't talk about his hair. No, I won't. No, 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 no. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And, uh, again, thanks, for Dean, for, for joining us. And uh, we will see you guys on Monday morning. Have a good weekend, everybody.